If you have been living under a rock, I'm sorry to tell you, but summer's coming to an end. Um, this, yesterday, I was going to say this last weekend, but yesterday my wife had me pulling out all the vegetables in our garden and throwing them away. She said, I'm done. This coal, it's, it's, it's too much. Just, I don't care if it's 78, throw them away. <laughs> and so I started pulling all the tomatoes and all the peppers and everything, all going into a, a brown bag and out to the curb it goes on Wednesday night. Why? Because summer is coming to an Yep, Pastor Aunt Hannah told me you guys all talk, so um, <laughs> I'm expecting feedback, so just so that we all set the stage here. But it's coming to an end, and as, as hard and as horrible as it is, summer must come because summer gives way to fall, and fall has to give way to, because winter's coming, right? Uh-huh, okay. Um, but what a year it's been. Who would have ever thunk that at the beginning of this year, with all of the predictions of 2020, that here we are, the second weekend in September, that this year would have turned out this way? How many predictions do we have? Anybody get it right? Nobody. Nobody. And yet, here we are. COVID, civil unrest. By the way, the election's coming up. It's going to create more unrest, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you might be on. What a year this has been. But it continues to remind us that seasons come and seasons go, and time marches on. And through this whole process, we somehow keep getting older, don't we? Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning to hear that? (laughs) Great. But hang in there. If you just stick with me, there's a reason for that. You see, through this all, there's something we can learn. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at this passage, a passage written by King Solomon. You remember Solomon was the wisest man on earth. God gave him the supernatural wisdom because he asked for wisdom to rule over the nation that God had put him over. And so God gave him wisdom and made him the smartest, the wisest man on the planet. And what did Solomon use that wisdom for? Solomon used it to experiment with life. He used that God-given wisdom to figure out what brought him pleasure and what brought him satisfaction. And in fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is really the journal of his life. It's the journal of what he did and what he found out and how he concluded his experiments with his God-given wisdom. In fact, if you look at the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, we won't go there, Solomon begins with his experiment of looking at life under the sun. And by that, he's looking at life without God in the picture. What does life look like if God was not in the equation? Well, it's interesting is Solomon comes to the same conclusion that you and I come to, or modern man and modern philosophers come to. He just did it 3,000 years ago. (laughs) What he found out is that life lived without God in our own strength is that we conclude that life is built on a universe that's very impersonal, that's motivated by our personal passions and our desires. And that's it. And that's it. In fact, if you look at one chapter over, at chapter 2 and verse uh, 17, Solomon gives us the summary of his experiment of life without God. Here's what he says. He says, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. 
Or in other words, what he said is, life's a bummer. <laughs> life's a bummer. Because life doesn't make sense without God. You turn the chapter and you get to chapter 3, and he changes the experiment. No longer is he just looking at life under the sun, he's now looking at life under heaven. He's now gone much higher. He's now including God in the picture. If life without God is vanity and meaningless and, and, and irrelevant, life with God is no longer that way, but it's certainly confusing because God doesn't tell us what He does and why He does it. Anybody? Yeah. He doesn't tell us what He's doing and why He's doing it. And yet, as we look at the first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning, I want to share with you one truth that I hope will resonate not just today but all through your lives, and that is we can trust God in every season of life. That we can trust God in every season of life. Just let me preface by saying life isn't fair. You agree? Life isn't fair. Not only is life not fair, life is confusing. And if we don't have an anchor in this world to put our hope on, this is a mess. It's a mess. But if you do have that anchor, and it's anchored correctly, then we can trust God in every season of life. I want to read for you the first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9 says, What gain has the worker for, from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. I want to give you three reasons from this passage why we can trust God in every season of life. And the first reason is because God is sovereign in every season of life. Amen? God is sovereign in every season of life. We're in a season. Every one of us is corporately, nationally, even globally in a season. It just happens to be called COVID right? It's touched every single person on the planet in some fashion or shape. And that's collectively. But individually, we're all in a season. Individually, we may be in a season of health or a season of sickness. We may be in a season of plenty or a season of poverty. We may be in a season of joy or a season of grief. Sometimes we're in multiple seasons all at once, we find our feet on a roller coaster with one leg up and another leg down, and, and we're trying to navigate life through seasons that impact our lives. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Three of you. Pastor Andrew, we got three that are, that are good. We're going to pray for the rest. 
That's why Solomon here in verse 1 says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. If you looked at that list from verses 2 through 8, and if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, just, just scan through that list. What would you pick if you had your choice? What would you pick if this was your chance to pick a season? I know what I'd pick. I'd pick all the things that make me happy. I'd pick plucking and healing and love and peace and, and dancing. And dancing, maybe if you saw me dancing, you'll cry, right? Or, or laughing so hard that you cry. That kind of crying is wonderful, but all the other kind of crying goes right out. Amen? Mm, maybe. We don't want the seasons of pain. I don't. I don't want the season of misery. I don't want a season of poverty or death or any of those things that make it painful to live in this world. I would prefer not to have a season called COVID if I could help it. And yet the truth is, we don't get to pick, do we? God is sovereign and He creates seasons and He puts us in them because He is sovereign. And we don't get to pick and choose because we aren't sovereign. And yet all the while, we push back against the season because we don't want pain and we don't want misery. In fact, we don't really care what Solomon has to say. It's okay, Lord. I know pain and is, is bad and pleasure is good and give me all the pleasure. I want to give it a shot and find out for myself. Give me the billion dollars and let me know. Let me, let me figure out if it's worth it or not. And all the while, Solomon in Ecclesiastes has told us that life lived that way is meaningless. It's vanity. In fact, let me just read for you two quotes, one from G.K. Chesterton from several generations ago. He says, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. It comes from being weary of pleasure. I know what you're thinking. No. <laughs> I don't want pain. I want the pleasure. The late Ravi Zacharias in his book, Can Man Live Without God, said, I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure, and that is why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. My friends, we don't get to pick. This season is a season that God designed. It's a season, whether we like it or not, whether it's, it's misery or not, it's a season God orchestrated and put you and me in it because He is sovereign. The problem is He doesn't post a schedule. I wish He would just add it to my calendar. I would love it I, just so I could prepare myself. <clears throat> but He doesn't do that. He designs it, He puts you in it, and He says, follow me. God is sovereign in every season of life. The second reason we can trust God in every season of life is because God has a purpose for every season. God has a purpose for every season. You know, most of the time when I look at the seasons of life that God puts me in, I always, I'm always chafing at the season. I'm never happy here. I'm always looking at the next season and wondering, God, when are you going to get me out of here so I can get to the next season because <clears throat> the next season's got to be better. I remember growing up, it was always a chafing. If I could just get my driver's license, then I could get a car and I could go places. I could be free. Then, then it was, if I could just get a job, I could get money, and I could buy stuff, and that would make me happy. And then it was, if I could just get married, I wouldn't be struggling with loneliness, and I'd be happy. You get the thread? I'd be happy. And all of a sudden, I, I get a driver's license, and I get a car, 
and I'm stuck in traffic. I'm not going anywhere. And construction, it's everywhere. Like, there's not a street without construction. I wasn't going anywhere. And then I, then I got a job. Then I bought stuff, and I bought more stuff, and I bought more stuff, and credit card debt. Wait, nobody told me about, and taxes? Where did my money go? Like, this isn't fair. And then I got married. You know what? Let's leave that alone. Um, yeah, let's, if, yeah. But, but you understand, I'm always chafing. I want what's next because I'm never happy here. I'm never happy here. And God says, you trust me because I have a purpose even in the season you don't like. By the way, have you heard that old saying that says, the grass is always greener on the other side? The rest of it that they didn't tell you, someone still has to mow the lawn. <laughs> you look at this couple here. Thanks for sitting up front. Look at them. They're beautiful. Look how well put together they are. Look at her hair. It's beautiful. I mean, look, they're, they're gorgeous. They've got it all together. Did you see the car they drove in? I don't know what car they drove in, but let's, let's just walk with me here. Their children, they're wonderful. Have you seen them? You come to church and we look around and go, man, did you see them? Did you see her? Did you see that? Did you see the dress? Did you see the car? Did you see it? Wow. Have you seen your pastor's beard? <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Some of you are mimicking it. Praise God. I can't get there. I'm never going to get there. I'm going to have to have him sell it to me or something. But we're always looking around. Why? Because we're never happy with who we are. And we're not happy with where we are. And yet God says, I have a purpose for putting you there. By the way, we never see the struggle. We never see the fight. We never see the pain that people go through to get to where they are. We only see what's on the outside. We never see the pain and the toil and the fight it took them to get to where they are. No matter what someone looks like on the outside, there are seasons of struggles in that person's life. If you look at this list again from chapter, uh, verses 2 through 8, take a look at another one. We're going to put them on the, on the screen in front of you. There are 14 pairs. 14 pairs of seasons. And if you'll notice, they're in perfect balance. They're in perfect balance. Now, I know you didn't come to church to do math, but if you were to sum up these seasons from top to bottom, do you know what you would sum up with? You would sum to zero. You'd sum to nothing. All of the toil and all of the heartache and all of the headache you went through to get through these seasons, the Bible says it amounts to nothing. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so glad you're here today. Just a shot of encouragement I needed. Stick with me. Stick with me. But Solomon doesn't leave us there because in verse number 9, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? Or in other words, what is the point of all of this? It's nothing. And Solomon is doing this for shock value because what he wants you and me to remember is that as much as you and I would like to think we're in control, we're not. Shh, don't tell anybody. You and I, we're not in control. We don't like that. That doesn't feel good, but that's the truth. Not a single one of us here would have designed COVID and said, oh, I'll, I'll take that one. 
No, <laughs> run away. And yet, we're not in control. Solomon goes on in verse number 10 to say, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And what Solomon's saying and what God is saying through him is that even though all of this toil on this earth may feel like it gets to nothing, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Every headache and every heartache, every tear that you shed, God has a purpose. He has orchestrated this season that you're in, placed you in it for a purpose. And the question for you is, will you trust him to carry you through the season? He has a purpose. The year was 1985. There was a 13-year-old boy living here in southeast Michigan. He had an older brother, a younger sister. His dad was in the ministry. His mom was was a homemaker, didn't work outside the home, didn't speak much English, didn't drive a car. They were immigrants from India, and they were living here. They'd been here for nine years at that point, and they had not had a chance to go back home to visit grandparents and cousins that they had left behind. And so in the beginning of 1985, they, they began to pray, Lord, we'd like to go back to, to India to see some family. Would you provide? Would you open a door? Would you help us figure this out if this is the right time? And it seemed like all the doors were opening and, and God allowed that family to purchase five tickets on a, on a packed plane. And the plan was that they would leave and drive up to Toronto, Canada and then fly from there to Heathrow and from Heathrow to India. That was the plan. And so God seemed to open all the doors and so they started buying suitcases and filling them with clothes and gifts and things that you would normally take after nine years of not seeing family. <coughs> And all the while, praying for God's will to be done. And everything seemed to be going well until the end of April when that boy's father had a heart attack. And in a couple of weeks, at the beginning of May, his father passed away. But, but God, didn't we pray? Didn't, didn't we seek your face? Didn't, didn't you open these doors? Didn't you allow us to go through these doors and buy all this stuff. Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? Why, God? Have you ever asked why? Here's a family who has almost nothing, scraped together everything they could to buy these tickets, and now fatherless. Friends would come over and say, look, it's really, really hard to live in this country without money. The boy's mother doesn't work outside the home, doesn't speak much English, there's not much you can do to survive. You've got five tickets. Why don't you take them and go back to India and stay there? Because it's a lot easier to live in India without, without money than it is to do it here. Perhaps God made a mistake in bringing you here. The boy's mother was a praying woman, and after weeks of crying and crying buckets of tears, she came back to the family and said, you know, the one thing I know, my God doesn't make a mistake. He brought us here for a reason, and here is where we'll stay. So they took those five tickets, and they gave them away. All the while crying and trying to figure out, how are we going to make life work? This family, they didn't have answers. God didn't immediately open up the books and say, ha-ha, here's the reason. It was a lot of tears. It was a lot of crying. It was a lot of misery. It was a lot of grief. June 22nd came. That plane took off from Toronto, Canada. And just as it reached Irish airspace, that plane exploded because of a terrorist bomb on board. God opened up the heavens for just a moment 
to show this family that God had taken one home to preserve four. Do you know why I know that story so well? Because that's me. I was that boy. And I'm here to tell you today that all things work together for, help me, but it doesn't feel good. In fact, it's miserable. It's painful. It's horrible. And yet God says all things work together for you believe it, church? All things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose. He has orchestrated this season. He's put you in it because He is a sovereign God and He doesn't do things by accident. So let me step back and just say that COVID didn't catch God by surprise. Like God is not in heaven going, oh, did you see that they let it out? What were they thinking? God is not surprised. This season that we're in, that we're so afraid of everything, and not that you shouldn't be afraid. Some of you should. You've got complications and take precautions. But we put so much pressure on ourselves and on the system, and, and we're so worried about stuff. And all the while, God is saying, why don't you just trust me and let me do what I can do? Why don't we let God do what God can do, and why don't we do what we can do, and that is hold on to Him? Because He has a purpose in the midst of COVID, in the midst of your season, in the midst of mine, God has a purpose. The question is if you can trust in the intentionality of a God who knows you so well to do something in your life, to do something in your family's life, to do something in your community, and even in this nation, can you trust Him to do His good purposes in your life? The third reason that we can trust God in every season of life is because God's strength is available in every season. God's strength is available in every season. At the end of verse 11, Solomon goes on to say, also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Do you realize that you and I as human beings are the only creatures on the face of this planet that are restless? We are restless. We struggle and we strive because we want to know the what and the why and the how, right? We are the only creatures on the planet that struggle with the questions of where did I come from and where am I going? Do you realize your dog doesn't wake up and go, why am I here? <laughs> right? Your cat doesn't scratch its head and go, what's for tomorrow? It doesn't care. But you and I, we care, don't we? We care. We want to know why. We want to know how. Because it's our life after all, isn't it? We care. We care. And yet, the reason that we care is because God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we yearn and we strive and we fill that void with every other thing that we can think of, but nothing is big enough to fill that void because God has shaped that void that can only be filled with one thing and that is God. Only God is big enough to fill the void of eternity that He has placed in our hearts. Augustine said it this way, Thou hast made us for Thyself and our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in Thee. Our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in Thee. You can fill it full of stuff but it never is going to satisfy like God can. That's why he has placed eternity in our hearts. It, Solomon continues to say, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet 
so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. You know, this verse isn't very much fun for us. And maybe I read it too fast, so let me slow it down. What, what Solomon just said is, you and I, we don't get to know what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I don't know about you, but that bothers me. You see, I'm an engineer by craft. I like to know stuff. I like to figure things out. I like to know the why. It's my life, right? We establish that. It's your life. You want to know. If you don't want to know, there's therapy. But I want to know. Lord, why is this happening to me? And God says, I'm not telling you. You see, we get glimpses of things that he does in our lives, but none of us ever get to see the big picture of beginning to end. Only God gets to see that. And I don't know about you, but that bothers me because I'd like to know. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 28, 28. Do you know that verse? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay, children, cover your ears. Just cover your ears. Do, do that for me. Just cover your ears. Because you're not, I hate that verse. Okay, you can uncover. Because I don't, I'm nosy. I want to know. Can't God tell me? And God's in heaven saying, no, just trust me. Just trust me. God has put eternity in our hearts so that it draws us to him. And he tells us that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live. You see, the season that you're in has a purpose. And that purpose is to do good as long as you can live. And the only way you and I are ever going to be able to do that is if we seek him who has the strength to carry us through. You see, God never designed us to walk through this life by ourselves. God never designed us to go through each of these seasons by ourselves or even in our own strength. The point of these seasons that he has us in is so that we can reach out and tap into the inexhaustible supply of strength that God gives us so that we can use his strength to get through. Amen. That's the point of these seasons. So that we get to learn how big he is and how much he loves us. That's the purpose to do good as long as we live. The question is, the season that you and I are in, how are we trying to get through? Are we trying to do this on our own? Or have we tapped into God's inexhaustible supply of strength to help us carry on? I just told you about what happened to me and, and my father. And that my father passed away in May. The airplane accident was in June. And one thing I know about God, he never wastes time because in July, God flipped the season and he put us in a new season. And for me and my family, that season was called chickenpox. Yeah? Chickenpox is like COVID. Nobody wants to be around you. Right? So here we are. We're grieving. We, we, Father's gone. We're, we don't know how to make life work. We're still scrambling to pick up the pieces. And we got chickenpox. All of us. And people will call on the phone. Hey, sympathies, condolences. We can't come over. Bye. Right? And so you're in quarantine. And then a couple of weeks go by and the rest of the family is fine. They're all healed. They're all out. By the way, this, you know, when I was, July I celebrated a birthday, 14. We didn't have Netflix or Facebook or YouTube or, I think we had channels 2, 4, and 7. Um, you know, right around where the dinosaurs walked on the face of the planet, that's about the time. All right? We had, I had a small 13-inch TV. I don't know about you. That's what I had at least. There's not much to do, right? And so you're stuck at home with books and four or five channels and you make life work. 
Everybody else is healthy in the house. Everybody else is out and about except for me. Chicken pox loved me. I mean, it had a love affair with me. It wouldn't let go. I had it for another two weeks before blackheads started appearing. It's miserable because nobody wants to come see you. And I remember sitting on my bed. Everybody else was out. My mom was in the kitchen. And I'm doing the only thing other than watching TV that I couldn't, and that was reading. I remember laying on my bed reading. And as I'm reading, somewhere along the way, the letters on the page started getting blurry. I'm rubbing my eyes, shaking my head. I try to continue. I press on like any good boy. But it gets worse. And it gets worse. And it gets to the point where it, it, nothing's working. I know what I'll do. I'll go ask mom. She knows everything. So I try to get off the bed, and no sooner do I try to get off the bed than I fall. I collapse in a pile. I, I have no strength in my legs to hold me up. This is really weird. I use the bed, and I use the dresser, and I use the doorknob, and I half crawl and half make my way down the hallway using the walls and the ledge to the kitchen where my mother's back is to me. She's slicing something up. And I say to her, Mom, something's wrong. She stops at mid-slice. She turns around to me and she says, What did you say? I said, Something's wrong. At least that's what I thought I said. What came out was a lot more mushy, slurred. I didn't realize that. She came, she grabbed me, and she helped me into the sitting room, and she put me on a couch, and she said, you sit there, I'll make you some tea. See, in an Indian household, tea cures everything. <laughs> tea cures everything. And so she went off to make tea. She came back, and she gave me the cup of tea in my hand. As soon as she let go, the cup crashed to the floor. I couldn't hold a cup of tea. She panicked, and she recalled the ambulance, and long story short, we got to Macomb Community Hospital, which isn't there anymore, but that's where we went. <clears throat> And because I still have some vestige of chickenpox, they put you in quarantine in the hospital. And nobody wants to come see you in the hospital. It took several hours for them to find somebody brave enough to come see you. This young lady came in. I mean, she was fantastic. She, she checked me out. But she had no idea what was wrong. So they admitted me. For the next two weeks, they ran test after test after test after test. My mom is sitting by my bedside. She hasn't left. She is crying buckets of tears. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what are you doing? You took dad home, and now you've got my son on this bed, and he can't see well, he can't speak well, he can't move well. What are you doing? Lord, isn't there a verse that says he won't give you more than you can handle? This is too much. God, you've got to take this away because this isn't, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. Families praying, churches praying, Extended family and friends are praying. Two and a half weeks go by. Two and a half weeks go by, no change. Finally, the doctor comes in and says, I, we think we know what's going on. He has a strain of what's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. I didn't know that then. I know that now. It's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And what happens is your body, when it has an infection, it starts to create antibodies, right? And those antibodies go fight the infection. And when the infection starts to die off, the body slows down the production of antibodies. But my body decided... We didn't have enough. And so it kept producing more antibodies and more antibodies and more antibodies and so much antibodies that it didn't know what else to do with. So it went over here to my motion receptors in my brain and threw a party, which is why I had no motion capability. I couldn't speak well or see well or move well. 
And then my mom, in her broken English, looks at the doctor and says, well, that's nice, but what does this mean? And the doctor says something just, just so shaking. She says, 50% chance he'll stay this way. And 50% chance he'll get better, but he'll never be the same. Now, you're all looking at me, and you know the end of the story, but it's 1985. It's July. It's actually August. We're in a hospital, and we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know how we're going to get out of this hospital. We don't know if Abe is coming home on his feet or in a wheelchair. God, where are you? This isn't right, God. This doesn't make sense, God. God, where are you? Why are you doing this to us? No answer. <clears throat> I remember another week goes by. By the way, in, this, in between, all these residents have come in with notepads and they're, they're making furious notes because they've never seen anybody with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Can you hold this? Can you read this? Can you drink this? Can you walk? Can you? I felt like a guinea pig. I mean, it's like, really? But they're all busy writing because they've never seen this. This is really good st- infield stuff. Another week goes by. <clears throat> in the middle of the night, my mom wakes me up. She says, Abe, Abe, wake up. Mom, in my slurred speech, I said, Mom, what time is it? She said, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Can't it wait till morning? I threw the covers back over my head, and I, I went back to sleep next night. Abe, wake up. Okay, Mom, what do you want? Abe, you need to dedicate your life for ministry. Mom, I'm 14. I got places to go, people to see. I mean, can't we wait till 30? I mean, Jesus was 30. Can't we wait till 30? I went back to bed. Night. After night, after night, over and over and over and over and over and over. You cannot imagine how, how persistent my mother is. She broke me like moms can. And I gave up. I said, Lord, okay, if you want to use me, I'm not sure what this is going to look like from a wheelchair, a guy who can't say much and a guy who can't see well or a guy who can't do much, but if you want to use me, all right. I held my mother's arm, and in my slurred speech with her, she helped me pray a prayer of dedication. And no sooner did I say amen that I started getting better. And within a couple of days, I walked out of that hospital room in my own strength. Why? Because I tapped into the strength of an almighty God, and I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Friends, God has a purpose for you. He has not just accidentally pushed you into this and said, oops, I'm sorry. No, he's designed the season and placed you in that season for a reason. And that's to teach you how wonderful and strong and glorious and majestic he is and to show you that glory in the midst of the pain or the grief or even the happiness of the season that you're in today. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him enough to reach out and grab a hold of his hand? You don't need to know what tomorrow brings because you know who holds tomorrow, don't you? And if you hold his hand and his strength flows into you, he will carry you each and every day because he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That truth you know, even in this season. He says, I am your very present help in every kind of trouble. Can you trust him? I want to close with the words of the song that we don't often sing anymore. It says, Great is thy faithfulness, 
O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. The second verse of that hymn goes like this. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Do you know the chorus? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. Would you stand with me? Actually, don't stand. We have communion to do. But would you bow your heads with me? Folks, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, then all of this strength business and intentionality business is foreign to you. You've been trying to make life work on your own, trying to make life work through your own strength, and Jesus is standing by the door of your heart and saying, if you would just open... I'll come into you. I will make you my child and I will give you the strength to carry on. You don't need to know what tomorrow looks like. I have tomorrow. I've taken care of it. Will you just trust me? Folks, there's nothing you have to do. There's no cleanup you have to do. God promises to take care of all of that for you. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done and I call upon you to save me. And the Bible says the moment you do, you will be saved. If you're here today, don't leave without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And for the rest of you, may I encourage you, in every season God places you in, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, trust Him. Reach out and grab His strength, knowing that there is a purpose for the season that you're in. And the sooner we find the purpose, the sooner we can get on to the next season and the next season and the next season. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're a sovereign God that never leaves us. You never forsake us. That everything that happens in our life is orchestrated by the hands of an almighty God who sovereignly acts with great care and great intentionality. Father, may we as your people surrender our hearts and our wills to you so that you can have your way in us. Though that's not easy to do. I recognize that I struggle with that. But that's what you want us to do. To say no to ourselves and say yes to you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Father, may you continue to draw out their heart, continue to knock, continue to convict of sins, and continue to show them that you are who you say you are. The Savior who came into this world to pay the penalty we could never pay to give us a relationship we never deserved. Would today be the day that they say yes to you and no to themselves? And may we continue to hold on to you and to trust you in every season, this season and beyond. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.